0: Father, thank you for this day and for these people. God, thank you uh, for the opportunity to come and uh, just to be reminded of where our hope lies in the midst of a season where so many things, maybe we've, we've been guilty of putting our hope in have been taken or, or changed. Uh, God, I pray that uh, this time has, and I thank you that it has, and I pray that it will continue to reveal to us um, those things that we cling to and find hope in apart from you. Holy Spirit, would you come today and just remind us of where our hope is found. I pray these things in your good name. Amen. This morning I'm gonna read from John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told I would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Over the rest of May, we're going to be saying in our our, uh, series that we've called Hope in the Valley. And remembering that in times of, of struggle, and times of uncertainty, Jesus gives us promises. Promises that we can cling to and find hope in. We all reach points in our life of uncertainty, of fear, of anguish, of grief. And our Lord, who is rich in mercy, not only sympathizes in those seasons, but through his word, he promises to comfort us. In John 14, and the verses I just read, The disciples had an abundance of reason to have troubled hearts, and yet Jesus tells them, Let your hearts not be troubled. Jesus had just shared with them that not only would Jesus be leaving and they be what they felt would be alone. But he lets them know, he had just let them know that they would all ultimately fail him at some point, even going as far as to deny him. And he had just revealed to them that one of them was actually a traitor in their midst. So Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, but of course their hearts were troubled. And in the midst of trying to take in this weighty list of sorrows, Jesus comforts them by saying in verse one, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Surely trouble was on the horizon. Jesus wasn't trying to pretend or convince them otherwise. They would all face grief and pain and ultimately death. Jesus doesn't deny this. In fact, he embraces the reality that he too would face such things as well and even first. Yet he assures the disciples that despite the troubles of the world, their hearts need not be troubled. The heart signifying the place where their hope lies. Jesus is assuring them that, yes, there are going to be trials, there are going to be great difficulties and sorrows to come, but the place where your hope lies will not change. He reminds them of who he is. As they believe in God, as they trust in the ones who created the heavens and put the stars in the sky, Jesus reminds them in the same way you're to trust in me that I and the Father are one. You trust that the sun will come up in the morning, and in the same way as a Christian, we trust in Jesus and his promises. In days of sorrow and uncertainty, we must remember that the same voice that spoke creation into existence speaks to us today in this moment through his word. The same word that comforts the disciples in their time of grief is spoken to you, Christian, through the word of God in your hands. James Bari uh, is most famously known for writing the book Peter Pan, but he also wrote many other books, including he wrote a, a really special book about his mom, Margaret. That's a less, much lesser known than Peter Pan, but an equally good work. And in that book, he talks about this text about John 14. His mother uh, endured a great deal of sorrows in her life. She lost a a son and endured just a great deal of difficulty. And he remembers how significant John 14 was to her. He recalls um, to the end of his mother's life, whenever you would put her Bible down on a table, it was so bended to John 14 and the promise that Jesus gives that it just fell open to John 14 naturally. And he recalls that at the end of her life, when she could no longer see, she would open her Bible to that page and would just kiss the page where that truth lied. His disciples, Robert Morrison points out in his commentary, that the disciples felt like his, they felt his departure to be a torture. And it was then that he consoled them with such a simple and glorious speech that all of Christendom is a debtor to their agony. His word to them, his comfort in their agony is a glorious promise. And we find it in verses 2 and 3 where it says this. He tells the disciples, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. I don't know about you, but this is just this has been a weighty week. In addition to the realities of COVID and everything that's come with that, my, my heart and much of our nation felt sorrow even this week. I watched a, a video of uh, a young man, Ahmad losing his life for what appears to be no reason and wherever you stand on on that whatever your thoughts may be there's no question that the news that came forward this week you can't hear that see something like that and not be abundantly aware that something that this world is wicked that something evil took place and then on on, on top of that i uh Yesterday, a pastor who, as uh, the news came out, that a pastor who's been influential, a founding member of the network that we're a part of, after decades of faithful ministry, took his life uh, unexpectedly, without anybody knowing the depths of the sorrow that he felt. And um, in the midst of this combination of things, it just, it's just, a, it's just been an incredibly emotional week and a, an incredibly weighty Saturday. And I'm reminded that the world is not as it should be. Man is, is wicked, and with with no exception. And the disciples are, are feeling this reality. Like Ahmad, the disciples were hated for something that wasn't their fault. It was that they followed the truth, and they were hated for something that they had no reason to be hated for. Like Darren, the disciples felt a weight that they could not carry. How do we carry this on without Jesus? Jesus is leaving. And Jesus reminds them, of a better world. That's his response to such. He tells them of the kingdom that is to come, and he reminds them that the kingdom will one day be their home. He uses the term he talks about in my father's house are many rooms, and that that term means dwelling places. He's reminding them that these sorrows are unavoidable. They're going to come here. They're going to pile up, but you continue in the hope of knowing that this isn't your home that these, you're going to be, as these, as this brokenness berates you, just remember, I'm coming for you. This is temporary for you who are in Christ. Because of the agony that Jesus would face, the disciples can rejoice and sing in the midst of the valley, knowing that this is not their ultimate fate. Notice Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Not I'm going to be forced, not I have to go, but he makes clear like this was the plan from the beginning of time. I I go, this is the plan. I will go to the cross. I will go to prepare a place for you that you might be with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to, to live a perfect life, to die a brutal death so that there'd no longer be condemnation for you and I but everlasting joy as those who will dwell in the place of the Lord. And notice that Jesus is facing death, certain agonizing death. And yet his thoughts of the homeland are not speculation, but they're firsthand knowledge. In Morrison's commentary, he also, uh, he makes a historical comparison Plato tells us of the last hours of Socrates in prison before he drank the poison. Like Christ, Socrates is going to die. Like Christ, his thoughts run on immortality. He discusses it with his friends who come to visit him. He speculates, he argues, and he wonders. What a perfect and stupendous contrast between that and the attitude of Christ. Christ, knowing that certain death arises, he's not wondering of what will come. He's not speculating. He's not unassured, but he speaks to the disciples matter-of-factly about what's ahead for him. He knew fully and with full confidence. He's able to walk up the hill to carry the cross knowing fully and without any doubt of where he was going back to. And Jesus speaks of this incredible place, and then he makes a bold statement to the disciples It says in verse four and five, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Have you ever thought in your head, just a really stupid question, but you're really hoping that somebody else asks it? Well, that was Thomas. Like all the disciples are thinking the same questions, Thomas. Jesus, what are you talking about? We have no idea where you're going and we have no idea how to get there. But Thomas is the first one to just step up and say, what are you talking about? And his statement reflects something that we all feel at some point. Jesus tells us the way and yet we find ourselves questioning and, and wondering, like, where, where do I go? What does the Lord want of me? And we, we question things that Jesus has told us boldly and firmly all the time. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. As a disciple of Jesus, everything I do is to be rooted in my identity with Christ. He tells Thomas, and he tells you, Christian, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, the whole deal, when you don't know where to go. When the the future seems so cloudy and you are just agonizing over, I can't, right now, like it feels, it's been such a weird month if I can't make any plans. Like I've been so frustrated. Like I don't know how to plan. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. In the midst of not knowing where to go, Jesus promises on the way. And sometimes our hearts know what is true, but we doubt that which is true. And we wrestle with really hard questions about who Jesus is and what it means to, to live here in this place. And in the midst of our doubt, he says, I'm the truth, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And sometimes the weight of this life is just overwhelming and despair and the dark night of the soul rears its ugly head. And when that day comes, Jesus reminds us, I'm the life. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. The Christian identity both begins and ends with a clear understanding of the gospel and what our Savior has done for us. With a clear understanding that I am saved and kept by the power of God. I am a Christian by grace and grace alone. I did not earn my status and I do not deserve it. And Paul states this rightly in Ephesians 2, 8-9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Christian, we are often not unlike Thomas. And Jesus reminds us that he is the way. In our times of despair, in our time of doubt, and all of the things that overwhelm us in the midst of the valleys of life, Jesus reminds us that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He is where we continue to turn to. And we don't walk in these things alone. Man, just be honest for a minute. Part of my my grief in yesterday, and just uh, and just the truth when the news came out of Darren is, man, like we we're not to carry burdens secretly and quietly. But God's given us well not only Himself, but then He gives us one another as a gift that we might know and be known. That we don't walk alone. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that because of the truth of the gospel, because our sins are atoned for in Christ, we no longer need be ashamed of them. That includes my doubts, my fears, my insecurity, and my trespasses. I can bring those before the people of God because out of an abundance of belief that they are sufficiently covered and paid for in Christ. You will not have purpose. You will not know passion. You will not have healthy priorities. And you will not be able to pace your life in a healthy way without Jesus. Unless all things are conforming to him in each way. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. I want to close this morning. I want to read uh, from a Matthew 1130, just one verse. But I'm actually, I'm reading this out of, uh, I'm reading this from the message. Because I think the truth is... uh, sufficiently stated in a way that's maybe easier for us to understand. Matthew eleven thirty, Jesus tells us, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's Jesus's invitation to you each day, even on, on uncertain days. Walk with me, work with me, We get to go along with Jesus as he does his transforming work with people and and people. And we get to walk with him. Like this, again, the same word that spoke creation into existence speaks to you. Like God has that word for you. Watch how I do it. When we open up Scripture, we learn what it is to live faithfully and watching Christ himself. Like we, we need not wonder, how am I to deal with this issue or that or what does it look like to walk in a way that is faithful? We have Christ says, watch me. Walk with me. Do what I do and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Something, the gospel is very different from religion in that it, it, it changes us in a way. That we begin to show, uh, we begin to live out those unforced rhythms of grace because of something that's happening internally in us, not something we're trying to force or or create externally, because that always ends up leading to disappointment when we fail. But when we walk with Jesus, when he is the way, the truth, and the life, when his of, of everlasting almighty word is transforming us and abiding in us, these rhythms of grace Take place in our hearts as our hearts change and are conformed to Him. I, would that be true of us? Would this, uh, as, uh, it's so easy to fall into seasons of apathy. To be apathetic, not only about maybe Christ's church, but ultimately about our relationship with Christ himself, about his invitation to us to walk with him. Would we never, like we're gonna come up against seasons of that apathy and would we always push back and fight against together as a community of believers? I'm so thankful for you being here because we we should desire to be here because Christ has done what he said he would do and we have good news that's worth sitting out in the cold in lawn chairs for. And with that truth, would that truth go beyond this morning and would go to our quiet time this evening? Your time spent in prayer with Jesus tomorrow morning. Walk with Him. Work with Him. Watch how He does it. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace, the good news of the gospel. Would you pray to that end with me this morning? Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, thank you for your faithfulness, thank you for your atoning work. God our hearts are, are prone to so many things, to sorrow and, and angst and uh, bitterness and fear and apathy, and yet you, you know all these things full well, you know them deep. You know the full measure of who we are, and yet you love us and you call us your own and and you see us as beloved. God, thank you. Conform us to your likeness. Ignite in us a, a passion for the things that you are passionate about, a passion for the good news of how we've been rescued. God, I pray that in the midst of a season of uncertainty, we might be a people of hope in all the places that we go. Lord, I love you. I thank you for Jesus. I pray these things in your good name. Amen.